now going to turn to God's word and it's uh, 1 Peter chapter 1 and you will find that on page 1217 in the Pew Bibles but it's 1 Peter chapter 1 and we're going to read from the first verse. To God's elect, strangers in the world scattered through Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready for, to be revealed in the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And may God add his blessing to this reading of his word. Let's start with prayer, because that's always a good place to begin. Father, we thank you once again that we can meet in freedom. Father, may our brothers and sisters around the world who have to meet in secret or in fear May they know that we are thinking and praying for them now through the same spirit who lives within us, lives within them, and we have fellowship with them. May you be with us now as we come to your written word to discover more about your living word, Jesus Christ. May we turn off the thoughts of our, our minds that may be uh, distracting us, so we can focus upon him. And all of God's people said, Amen. Well, despite uh, Brother John's uh, insistence about the title being about joy in the midst of suffering, the title is Living in the Joy of Salvation. The author is Peter. Some people wanted to know where the ancient map fitted in with modern geography. There is Bithynia and Pontus, Cappadocia, Galatia and Asia. And it's all located within the modern state of Turkey. Last week we started our series in the evenings looking at this little letter of 1 Peter. We started with 1 Peter chapter 1 and 2 and then going on to chapter 2 and verse 11 and 12 under the title Living in the Face of Alienation and Its Cure. The Apostle Peter is writing to a group of people Followers of Jesus spread throughout what we know as modern Turkey. 
these believing sojourners were undergoing trials and sufferings and persecution. And Peter instructs them in this little letter toward Christian stability and the proper expression of this stability and growth. And throughout this letter, Peter stresses a hope so alive, so glorious and so very certain that any persecution, trial and suffering can be endured. These people are sojourners or pilgrims on a spiritual journey. Last week we discovered that Peter reminds them of this God that they worship and live for. A missional and relational God of salvation. A loving God who is Trinity, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. God the Father has chosen and is calling all people to himself out of amazing love for them. God the Holy Spirit sanctifies and cleanses to allow people to enter God's holy presence through the obedient sacrifice of God the Son. Wow. That's the first one, Aubrey. Because Aubrey counts them. Last week there were four. Then we learnt together about how within the believer that there is this battle. This spiritual battle, the old earthly human nature battling against the new nature of the believer given to them by God. Salvation is yours, Peter says. So go let the world know that this salvation can be theirs also. Do this by living so devoted to God that it permeates every facet of your life. So there can be no doubt that you are God's. That people will know you are God's possession and that this God lives through you. What's the word? Wow! The believing sojourner is to live such a good life that they are such witnesses for God in whom they believe. We also know that this group of people are undergoing various forms of suffering and grief. Not least the sporadic events of persecution against them, but also the lingering shadow of systematic persecution to come. And so we come to tonight's reading, 1 chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 to 9. Please do have your Bibles open so you may check that what I am saying is true. And again we start out by looking at God before going on to look at a reaction to this great God of whom Peter continues to reveal. And here in this first section, from chapter 1 verse 1 through to chapter 2 verse 9, Peter touches on subjects which he will further elucidate upon later in the letter. So firstly, Peter continues in this first section. The natural section of the letter starts in 1 Peter 2 verse 11, as we saw last week. And tonight we move on under the title, Living in the Joy of Salvation. And this naturally implies that there is a joy giver and a salvation. Who is the giver of this joy? And what is joy? I know I've preached on joy before, when we did that reading from Leviticus chapter 9. That was three years ago now, I think. So firstly, the joy giver is God. In verse 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 3, Peter continues praising his God and the God of his readers. This God is the joy giver. Let's look very briefly at some aspects of this God whom Peter reveals. Peter would have remembered the words of Jesus, the Son of God who told him and others to call God Abba, Father, Dad, Daddy, Papa, Pa, 
Father God is the one who calls and beckons all people to himself. He is the Father of the Son, Jesus Christ, but not in such a way that he created the Son, for the Son has always existed and was never created. God the Father is a Father in that he plans and directs while the Son responds obediently. Obediently such as when he went to the cross. And God the Father sent the Son, and Jesus himself had said he had come from the Father and was returning to the Father. Again we looked briefly at that relationship last week, and this joy giver is to be praised. And even more, he is full of mercy. This God is a merciful God. He does not give people what they deserve, which is death for humanity's willful rebellion against him, but he offers salvation, a new birth. The mercy of God is the goodness of God to those in distress. It is tenderness and compassion. And how is this new birth possible? This new birth is only possible through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Resurrection means more than just coming back to life. I'm sure you are aware. Jesus raised at least three people from the dead. But that was more a resuscitation than a resurrection. Those resuscitated people came back to life with their normal bodies and they would go on to die a physical death again. Jesus' resurrection was different in that he also had a new body. Jesus' resurrection proved and vindicated all of his teaching. Jesus' resurrection, witnessed by Peter and many others, certified and attested to the claims to be who he said that he was, God. If Jesus had not been resurrected, then be assured Peter would not now be in Rome as a witness for this Jesus. He probably would have gone back to being a fisherman, not as he is now a leading figure in the embryonic church, the bride of Christ. And this resurrection was also God the Father's approval of his son Jesus' obedient service. The fulfillment of all the Old Testament promises are declared through the resurrection the result of which is inheritance and salvation for all those who respond to the Father's calling. But more about that later as we continue to explore tonight. This God is a joy giver. And then our next one, well, I've obviously skipped something up, but then this Jesus will be revealed. This Jesus will return and be revealed for who he is and in full glory for the world to see. That's in verse 7. Glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Jesus said so during his earthly life and it's mentioned over 300 times in the New Testament. Jesus is coming back and he's coming back soon. Jesus is returning. Not as a human baby this time but as a conquering majestic prince of peace. When will he come? Nobody knows, despite all the um, prophecies of TV evangelists down through the years who have later had to repent. But we know that it will happen unexpectedly, don't we? Are you expecting the unexpected? Are you waiting? God is the joy giver. And so, if God is the joy giver, what is joy and how is the Christian the receiver of this joy and salvation to live in the light of this joy? Let's look very briefly at a series of mini pictures given to us by Peter 
that are elucidated further on in the letter. Back in verse 3, when Peter says, born anew, he is echoing the very words of Jesus, who said that only those who are born again, that is to be born anew or born from above, will see and experience the kingdom of God and have the salvation of their souls. John 3, verse 3. What does Peter mean here? Just as each person has a, a physical body, each person also has a spirit. Now our spirit is our spiritual system which is seen in our consciousness of God and in our faith and our conscience. A spiritual birth is required in order to give a spiritual life just as a physical birth gives physical life. Each person is made up of a physical body and an internal spirit. That is why Peter says that all those who are followers of Jesus who are sojourners on the journey, spiritual journey, have been born anew, or born from above, or born again. It is also something that a human cannot do by their own efforts. It can only be a work of God. It is from his twin wellsprings of grace and mercy that people can have this new life. Grace, getting what we don't deserve, and mercy, not getting what we do indeed deserve. And more than that, it is a living hope because believers have this new life. We've been born anew. We have a new hope. Not a dead hope as some might imagine, but a living and dynamic hope. How's your hope tonight? Is it living and dynamic and growing and moving as the Spirit moves you? Or is it tepid, lukewarm, being a bit lazy? It's not a dead hope. This living hope is the inheritance of the believer. Part of this new inheritance is the new body we will get. The believer will be resurrected just as Jesus was. There won't be any need for hearing aids. We'll have restored knees, thankfully. We'll be able to run and jump without pain. And this inheritance is described by Peter as imperishable, unspoiled and unfading. No doubt the readers of this letter would have thought back to the time when the nation of Israel was promised the land of Israel as an inheritance. As we looked about this morning when we looked at Abraham. But the inheritance Peter is referring to is not a physical kingdom or property or possessions. No, those things will rot rust, perish and decay and fade away as time goes on. Don't put your hope in these things, Christ Peter. Putting hope in them is not a living hope, but a dead hope. Oh, sojourner of Jesus Christ, Peter cries, put your hope, your living hope, in your glorious inheritance to come. You will have an inheritance and a life which is pure, undefiled and unpolluted by sin. No suffering in this inheritance. And where is this inheritance now, Peter? Not on earth, says Peter. This inheritance is being kept in heaven for you and for each person who follows Jesus Christ and perseveres. This is a personal inheritance. Each person must be born anew into this living hope. Where are you tonight? Have you taken up this living and dynamic hope and been born anew by God's grace and mercy? Again, I say, don't leave tonight without speaking to somebody about it. This may be your last chance. There's new birth, there's a living hope, there's an inheritance. 
and shielded by God's power in verse 5. Who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. As you know again from last week, Peter is writing to groups of people who may be coming under severe persecution. And soon it will be systematic persecution under the Romans. We know that from church history. We know that in the year 64 AD, systemic persecution of Christians came about under the Emperor Nero. How will God's people, those who he has chosen as his, be protected? Peter is writing to encourage these believers. This inheritance is theirs. They have been born anew. They are God the Father's chosen and well-loved children, just as we are. What about when persecution comes? Who will protect them and keep their inheritance safe? Peter tells them that they will be shielded or guarded by God himself. God will keep them safe. Just as God kept the spies who went into the land of Canaan, way back in the Old Testament. It is a guarding which is not only protection, but also a shielding away. It is the security of their salvation which God also protects. God has his hold on them. Will any fall away from God when persecution hits them? Will they be able to stand? If they rely on God's power and God's strength and continue to put their their personal faith and trust in him, then they will indeed be energized, sustained and safeguarded. We know from other passages of scripture that God the Son, Jesus Christ, intercedes for those who are following him. This guarding work is not just for the inheritance, but it's also for something else too that we read in verse 5. A future salvation. The safeguarding is also for the salvation. And salvation, I'm sure you're aware, has three tenses to it. A believer has been saved. A believer is being saved. And a believer will be saved. Justification and sanctification are the big theological words. And if you want to know more about them, Andy Fitz is your man. One glorious day, the believer will come into his or her full inheritance. They will have full possession of all that God the Father has kept for them. It will be revealed one day. Expect the unexpected. Keep having hope, says the Apostle Peter. Again, we looked briefly at that last week. The believer has been born anew into a living and dynamic hope for the future. Chosen by God the Father and called by him to be his child. The Christian is regenerated, renewed and cleansed by God the Holy Spirit through the obedient life and sacrifice of God the Son, Jesus Christ, who was resurrected, rose up from the dead. Wow. Peter continues. Here in verse 6, he says, Rejoice, believers, and keep on rejoicing just as you are indeed going doing. When you think about your future inheritance, rejoice. Rejoice, sojourners, in your future hope and inheritance. To rejoice is to have a deep and glorious spiritual joy. It's rejoicing in God with deep joy. Now remember, these believers are suffering and some will indeed suffer more. 
many types of trials and griefs. And as Peter says, they may have to suffer and endure trials which are to come. What are these sufferings and trials? We cannot be certain, but every human that has ever lived in some way has suffered, haven't they? Indeed, the very process of physical birth is a kind of suffering for baby, mother and father. These believers are enduring all sorts of trials. Trials put upon them by Satan, put upon them by other people, as well as natural trials such as sickness and death and the grieving, the loss of loved ones. But Peter here says may have to suffer. Perhaps he's implying suffer for simply being believers, perhaps in the shadow of persecution hovers above them. And Peter goes on, these trials, sufferings and griefs are temporary and incomparable to the glory which awaits the believer who holds on and perseveres. Peter says that suffering, trials and griefs go hand in hand with joy. More about joy soon. She's a wonderful person. Trials will come. Why? Why will trials come? Why are they suffering? Peter goes on to say that the trials have come to prove their faith in God. Verse 7. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Faith is trusting in God. How will they trust in God as they undergo such ordeals? How will their faith be exhibited? These trials and griefs will show the genuine nature of these believing sojourners' faith. They are to refine and purify the believer, Peter says, just as gold is refined by fire. And even though on earth gold is one of the most durable substances, one day it will perish, just as all this old earth will. Genuine faith and real trust in God is far more enduring and valuable than placing faith in gold, because God is to be the object of the believer's faith. God's evaluation of these believers, these sojourners, is of higher value than the opinion of mere humans. God's evaluation is basis for faith in him by those believing sojourners who Peter is writing to. This faith of theirs is to be shown in praise to and of Jesus Christ and him alone. This genuine faith of theirs which is always to seek to give praise, honour and glory to Jesus. How's your faith? How's your faith today? And this genuine faith is expressed with joy, particularly as we saw earlier when Jesus Christ is revealed in his divine post-resurrection, post-ascension glory, when all of humanity will be judged and the secret desires of the hearts of humans is revealed. Faith genuine. And then faith love, verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. The object of the Christian faith, Peter goes on, is Jesus Christ and him alone. 
He is utterly trustworthy. Peter, of course, had known Jesus personally. Peter had seen Jesus, been called by Jesus, was rebuked by Jesus and regularly frustrated Jesus. I'm sure I regularly frustrate Jesus as I probably do some other people here. Hey, young me. This Peter had also betrayed Jesus and was forgiven by him. Peter had loved Jesus and was still loving Jesus and following Jesus. And Jesus loved Peter. This Peter had seen the resurrected Jesus before witnessing his ascension back to the right hand of God the Father. But these believers had not had those experiences. Oh, for sure they'd heard the stories and the testimony of witnesses to the person of Jesus. Perhaps even by Peter himself. Not only were these believers to have faith in Jesus, but they were also to express their love of him. Peter is saying, faith is personal, individual, and to express your faith in Jesus by loving him and being obedient to him. How's your faith tonight? Is it being expressed in loving others and loving Jesus and being obedient to him? These believers Peter was writing to love Jesus and he implores them to express it by living lives worthy of them. Again, could that describe you here tonight or listening on the download? Then face belief. Again in verse 8, believe in him. Moreover, this genuine faith of love is in evidence through their belief. That is, their trust in Jesus, resting their confidence in him alone because he is utterly dependable and reliable. Is that your experience of Jesus? It's a personal relationship between Jesus and the believer. It is resting entirely upon him for all things. Again, could that describe you here tonight in Palmer Chapel in the year 2013? Almost 2,000 years ago since Peter wrote his little letter. Face genuineness, face love, face belief, and finally, and face joy. How is this faith expressed? This faith, Peter goes on, is expressed in and through joy and exaltation. Old Testament languages, and the Old Testament language and experiences, such as in our reading from the book of joy, which is Leviticus, told of the glory of God being revealed, a God who wants to live with his people. You can't get much more wow than that, can you? It's in Leviticus. You just, I'll preach that. I better not go there. Moses and Aaron, as we read in Leviticus, come out from the tent, give a blessing to the people, and God's glory appeared to the nation. What a wow moment. That must have been some blessing Aaron gave. But no other blessing came upon him like that. Whatever the words that were expressed, there are words that invocated Almighty God's power, presence, and peace to be with and upon his people. No wonder the people fell on the ground with their noses in the dirt as an act of worship. And not just worship, joyful worship. Not sing the same song all over again. Oh God, I love you. But an act of joyful worship and praise to God. So amazing was this sight that a tremendous wave of exuberant joy overcame the people and they fell in the dirt with their face in the ground. There was probably a mixture of amazement, surprise and reverent fear. This was not joy as a mere emotion, 
but true exultant joy is evidenced through sacrifice, praise and testimony. The intended readers of Peter's letters would have been well acquainted with such passages in our, what is our Old Testament, where the bright, shining radiance of God's glory was revealed, an exultant joy which is inexpressible and glorious. Face joy. And now face outcome. And what does Peter say is the outcome or result of each of these sojourners' faith? It is the salvation of their soul. Salvation, as we have looked at earlier tonight, as well as in last week's study. A salvation which is the work of God the Trinity. God the Father has chosen and called all people to himself out of love for them. God the Holy Spirit sanctifies, cleanses, sets apart people in order to allow them to enter God's holy presence. And this entrance, this entrance is only through the obedient Son, Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. Here's a short video of someone who is undergoing some trials and her quick reflection on joy. John and I met her last Wednesday. She's an amazing lady. G'day, what's your name and where are you from? She has a quiet voice. I'm Sue and this is Casey. Um, <laughs> we're from East Sussex, uh, originally in my case from London. And yeah, that is about it. And you've got a little uh, thing to tell us about yourself. Not very interesting, but I suffer from various conditions, including a very short list version of it. Um, fibromyalgia, osteoporosis and pernicious anemia. Okay. And you're a Christian? I am. And how long do you think that you've been a Christian, would you say? Since I was 18. Okay. And what part does joy have to play in your life at the moment? Joy, I think, is a two-pronged thing. It is something that you practice and becomes something you feel as you go on trusting in faith. Um, and what else can you tell me about joy? It is also the emotion, but I think it's like a muscle. You've got to keep using it. Mm -hmm. And as you go through ex bad experiences, which we have, and God is there and he helps you through, then you learn to practice it every day and it becomes more instinctive anyway. So with all that said, let's briefly uh, recapitulate before we conclude. And there is a difference. So what? Firstly, we looked at a God who is to be praised, a God who is merciful in giving new life to all those who respond personally to his call. As evidence of this new and living hope, he sent his son who came to earth as a human, lived, died and was resurrected to new life. This son ascended to be at his right hand once more. This son, Jesus Christ, will be coming back again one day. Meanwhile, all those who place their faith and hope in him will be shielded, safeguarded and protected by God himself. Indeed, their salvation is assured and safeguarded. Shielded and safeguarded as Kephas and Pangi was in the story that Bruce read out. But if they were to die, they would still be shielded and safeguarded by God because their salvation was assured and they would be in his presence. God shields and safeguards and protects his people. We then looked at this new life or new hope in more detail. 
This new hope is living, dynamic, and the believer has a glorious inheritance and salvation. Do you believe it? This was given by God and God alone from his twin wellsprings of grace and mercy. Then lastly, we looked at faith. Faith genuineness, faith love, faith belief, faith joy, and finally faith outcome, which is the salvation of the soul. And with that said, how are we to conclude tonight? How are we in the 21st century to respond and to react to Peter in this section of his letters? For those of us who would uh, call ourselves Christian, a sojourner of Jesus Christ, we believe in him and have placed our faith in him for new hope, new life and salvation of our souls. I wonder what trials, including alienation and persecution, you have undergone in the past, or undergoing at the moment, or will persevere through in the future. Ten years ago, I slipped into a coma. I kept saying no to God, and he eventually had to have his way with me. Then six years ago, the birth of partakers, I collapsed down at the um, uh, cornerways surgery. I remember saying to the father, Dad, I want to come home now. And at that point he said, no, I've got a job for you to do. So I sat up, much to the amazement of the paramedics and my wife. I don't know how I will suffer and grieve in the future. But I do know who has the answers to our trials and our testings. It's my God and your God. Our God of love, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. He knows the answers and I have to trust in him. Are you currently undergoing any sort of trial? Run to God. He will listen. He is your protector. He is your guard and your empowerer. Remember, he lives within you. He loves you. He cares for you. He is a personal God who has your best interests at heart. As Christians, we worship and serve a God who knows intimately about personal suffering, as John reminded us earlier. Our God isn't an inanimate and passive carving to be placed on a shelf or a wall which is immune to the suffering of the world, looking at his own belly button. On skepsis, by the way, is navel-gazing. No, our God is personal, dynamic, and active God who knows the suffering we ourselves endure. Why? Because he himself has suffered. Wow. He is an intimate, dynamic, responsive and living being who has shared in our sufferings through Jesus when he died on the cross 2,000 years ago. The same Jesus who was resurrected and raised to new life and witnessed by our author here, the Apostle Peter, his good friend and mate. The ineffable God made known to humanity in the man Jesus Christ. As part of our new hope and new life as Christians, uh, as sojourners of Jesus Christ, we await that glorious day in the future when he has come again. The day when Jesus Christ will take our face in his hands and he will wipe away every tear. Not just tears of pain, but tears of utter, sheer joy. Tears of pain released and tears of ineffable and inexplicable joy. I've preached on that here as well. And then you and I will know that it was all worth it 
the sufferings and trials we've endured in this life for the sake of Jesus Christ in order to enter the new life to come. Simply amazing. On that final day when your faith is tested, will it be proven to be genuine? Let this faith of yours which you claim to have always seek to give praise, honour and glory to Jesus and him alone. And if you see me not doing that, you can pull me up. May it be a faith being worked out by you, living a life which is worthy of him alone, which is seen by those currently not in the faith that you meet every day in the street. Let it be that your genuine faith is expressed with inexplicable joy to those outside. As Christians here tonight, just as it was last week, it's an imperative that we go and show our new life, this new hope that we have, empowered and safeguarded by God's power alone. Persecution may come, and we will in some quarters even now be rejected, but we persevere. As Christians, we have good news for this world that is suffering. It's up to us to go out living in the joy of salvation. We'll be alienated by some, but we will be embraced by others. God is for us. Who then shall we fear? God is a missional God. Peter clearly knows that. And because he is a missional God, we too are also to be on a mission. We have to take risks, as we heard this morning in order to continue this mission. History is filled with churches that failed to adapt and take the mission opportunities that were available to them. Will Palmer Chapel be like that? Will it be the church that slides down the hill? I, for one, certainly do not hope that that happens. We need to be reaching out, including those forgotten people, the people who cannot get out of their own homes for whatever reason helping those people who are already Christians and helping those who are not yet Christian, helping them to find this living hope in God. We're almost there. Dinner's still in the agar. God is a triunity of love. The Father loves the Son and the Spirit. The Son loves the Father and the Spirit. And the Spirit loves the Father and the Son. We as a church are also to be a community known for its love of each other. A love which mirrors that of the God of love, the God of salvation. It's a love which looks not to its own interests but the interests of others. Let's go love. Encourage others, not just your friends or those you like. Let's go and encourage others enduring all sorts of tests and trials just as Peter has done to this group of spiritual sojourners. God loves you. Let's go out and reflect the God we claim to love by following and obeying him. Tonight you may be in need of prayer because of some trial or suffering you're undergoing. Please do see Derek and Rosemary afterwards and they would love to pray with you and for you. And finally, 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 again I'm compelled to say this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Again, maybe you are here tonight and you would not call yourself a Christian. I don't know. 
then please, please, please do not leave here tonight without asking somebody here about how you can become one and start this new life, this new hope, which only those who are Christian can claim. God the Father's love is calling you. God the Father has chosen you. God the Holy Spirit is waiting to set you apart and cleanse you. God the Son is waiting for you to accept his obedient sacrifice. Come, let's pray. Father, we thank you that along with the the Son and with the Spirit that you are indeed a community of love. May we as your people go out of here being willing to obey you and be a community of love in a world which is dying without you. And all of God's people said, Amen. Thank you.